Welcome everyone to our first of many parent town halls to advocate for children's airway health. I am your host, Lauren Gates, founder of Airway Health Solutions, along with my co-host and fellow Airway Avenger, uh, Rebecca St. James, who's an executive director of CAF, the Children's First Foundation. And we are delighted to have Dr. Ben Moralia as our special guest tonight. <laughs> so before I get to Dr. Moralia's formal introduction, I'd just like to discuss our goals together, kind of share with everyone why we're doing this, what we're up to, um, and really what we want to get across this evening, uh, especially for the parents who are with us tonight. So I'm going to pass it over to you, Rebecca, and why don't you tell us a little bit about the Children's Airway First Foundation and what your goals are for this evening? Sure, sure. First of all, uh, thank thanks for everybody for joining us. We're really excited to share this information and maybe answer some questions you might have. At Children's Airway First, we are on a mission to ensure that every child has the ability and opportunity for screening, evaluation, and treatment of airway and sleep-related disorders before the age of six. That's really our goal. So that fix before six that we always say yes, rings true. And Dr. Moralia, why don't you share with us kind of your goals this evening? I know this is really the first forum that we've really related this on a Zoom kind of call, a webinar to parents. Mm -hmm. What are your goals this evening and what prompted you to want to do this? Yeah, well, thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be here. And sure enough, um, we have some goals. And first and foremost would be getting a little bit of a foundation in place. So uh, I've prepared a, a PowerPoint to share first, and then, of course, we'll get to Q&A second. But in that PowerPoint, I would like to share the, the kind of history of malocclusion, its origins, and sharing a little bit of research along the way to kind of show us where did we get here, how did we get here, and what kind of went wrong early so that we understand why we have this issue of underdeveloped jaws and poor breathing. But then how do you come out of it? Because knowing that it's there, it kind of gives you an opportunity to treat in the cause category rather than the symptoms. And there's, you know, that's an overarching theme that if we treat the cause earlier, we get a healthier child rather than treating the symptoms later. And then, of course, like you and Rebecca were both saying, earlier the better. So we're actually going to introduce a couple of cases at the end. One of them is a three and a half year old where when you get started early, you solve the problems and it can heal the child earlier. The second one that we'll share will be a nine year old can still be helped, but it's actually late. Nine is late. We're going to highlight, you know, how we're able to help that child, but Again, we'll stress if we had only helped that child at three, four, or five, it could have been a different few years. The kids don't have to struggle as long if we get in earlier. The one other little theme there is that it is a foundation first, teeth second approach. So Wonderful. working with the foundation, then the teeth second, we get better results that way. Thank you. Well, we're so excited and welcome everyone and kudos to you for joining us tonight to learn more about perhaps your child's airway health. Maybe it's your niece, your nephews, loved ones, whoever you really want to learn this about, your patients. But we want to get to know you a little bit. So I'm going to go ahead and launch a poll here. If you can kind of read and choose the best description uh, for you. We had a lot of dentists joining us, but I'm not sure if they're dentists and parents or parents and dentists. So if we could just kind of get a feel for who's with us tonight, that would be really helpful. Um, it's still, so I'll just wait. Oh, we have nice participation. Thanks everyone. So everyone's wide awake, even with daylight savings. Okay, so let's see what we got here. 80%, I'm gonna go ahead and end the poll and share the results. Oh, can you see? 
Well, it didn't share with me, but we saw it while it was. There we go. Can you see the, sh the results here? Yes, yeah. it's still showing. I said. <laughs> Perfect. Very good. So, yep. Um, yep. yeah. So welcome, everybody. We have 23% who are just parents. So we are so happy um, that you are here because this may be the first you're hearing about this. Uh, some of the dental professionals probably have heard about this because the ADA has actually had a calling upon them to screen for um, children's uh, sleep disordered breathing. So we're really, really especially happy to have you here and all of our healthcare professionals who really want to learn more, uh, perhaps about your own child, but also your parents. So thank you uh, for your for your commitment to oral health. Uh, the other thing I want to do is just talk a little bit about just some of the um, kind of the housekeeping items tonight. So the views that are presented are the opinions of our speakers and are not necessarily affiliated with Airway Health Solutions. The following webinar is provided for educational and informational purposes only and does not constitute providing medical advice or professional services. The information provided should not be used for diagnosing or treating a health problem or disease, and those seeking personal medical advice should always consult with a licensed physician or dentist. Always seek the advice of your doctor or other qualified health provider regarding a medical or dental condition. Okay, so I got the housekeeping items away, out of the way. The last poll I wanted to do, if I can do this, I should probably practice next time, is um, I did have a second poll but it's not letting me bring it up. Okay, here we go. <laughs> this is for parents only, so non-clinicians. I'm just really curious to see about your current level of awareness when it comes to airway health. Um, our dear colleague of, our, of ours, Sharon Moore, had actually asked in one of her questions when she uh, registered is, do people even know what airway health is? So I just wanted to kind of get a feel for that, uh, where we were starting. And it seems like it's pretty split, <laughs> um, a, a mix of knowledge levels. So again, kudos for everyone for coming tonight to learn more because knowledge is power. So thank you everyone for your participation. So I'm gonna have Dr. Moralia, why don't you take it away? We're gonna start again with a presentation. It'll be about maybe 30, 40 minutes, depending how fast you talk, <laughs> Dr. Moralia, but we'll see how it goes. Um, we're gonna ask you to use the Q&A bar on the bottom of your, on your screen um, rather than the chat, because this way we can keep track of the questions and the answers. Um, if you have questions about the case, feel free to go ahead and use that. And I will interrupt when there's a good time uh, to do so uh, without stopping the whole flow of the presentation. And then after the presentation, shoot away. We're gonna answer as many questions as we can. We are gonna refrain from talking about um, specific products and specific procedures for our dental professionals. So we're not gonna be going into um, a professional review. We're gonna keep this very patient and parent friendly. So please try to avoid the professional jargon if you would, and let's stick to patient friendly questions so we can give patient friendly answers. Um, for our dental professionals. All right, so I'm gonna go ahead and give you a formal um, introduction here, but you're all set. So let, I'll, I'll read fast because I think most people know you by now, but if not, you certainly will be glad you came tonight. 
So Dr. Ben Moraya graduated from SUNY at Buffalo School of Dental Medicine. He has 26 years of general practice experience in Mount Kisco, New York, including 18 years of interceptive orthodontic experience, where his focus has been on early childhood growth and development. Dr. Moraya lectures nationally on sleep disorder breathing, clear aligner therapy, and craniofacial development. He is on the board of directors of the American Academy of Physiological Medicine and Dentistry and the President's Council of Northern Westchester Hospital in Mount Kisco, New York. Dr. Moraya has been recognized multiple times as a leader in continuing education by Dentistry Magazine today. And we are so thrilled. I actually refer to you as the Mr. Rogers of Airway because you just make everything so easy and pleasant to listen to that it is our pleasure and honor to have you this evening. So go ahead and take it away. Well, thank you very much for that kind introduction. And here we go. We may as well, you know, get shot out of a cannon. Right. So we, we are going to be talking about children, and I'll show two examples later. So uh, as far as HIPAA goes or copyright violations, um, no, no photos or videos should be taken uh, of any of the cases or the slides. Replication of patient information uh, and slides is prohibited, and any use of the material without consent of Dr. Ben Morelli and Lauren Gates is a violation of the HIPAA and copyright laws. The HIPAA refers to like the patient's privacy. And so we're going to be showing later a three and a half year old and a nine year old who are really struggling. And of course, at the beginning, when we share their faces, they don't look very healthy. They'll have some issues. We're going to talk through them. We're going to treat them. We're going to help them. But no one should be taking photos or videos of that content and putting it anywhere else that would violate their rights. So let's try to protect the children and their privacy so that we can use this for educational purposes only and not violate anybody's privacy. All right, here we go. So let's have some fun. All right, so how did we get where we are? So where are we? Well, we, we are in a spot where a lot of adults have obstructive sleep apnea, and we start to know people, whether they're in our families or in our communities or in the workplace or where I have a CPAP. Oh, I snore and I got a chest. Uh, I got I went and got a test. And now I got obstructive sleep apnea. So I got to wear this mask at night. So all of a sudden, OSA and obstructive sleep apnea is in the common daily language on a daily basis. But it doesn't mean it has to be something that starts when you're an adult. So it might not be that you're actually healthy all through your childhood, then you become an adult with OSA. It might be that it began early. So we're going to back up from the adult obstructive sleep apnea condition and take a look at childhood sleep disorder breathing. So sleep disorder breathing is kind of generic. It's poor breathing. When you think about obstructive sleep apnea, that's very specific. That's a specific diagnosis. You had a sleep test in a clinic, and now they know that, oh, yeah, you're, you have obstructive sleep apnea. That's like the worst you could be. That's a terrible diagnosis. It means you're very unhealthy with your breathing while you're sleeping. But sleep disorder breathing is generic. It means you could have any type of breathing issue, anything from mouth breathing, which is a little bit unhealthy, to obstructive sleep apnea, which is really unhealthy. And the only real pathway for healthy sleeping is nasal breathing. So nose breathing is very healthy. Mouth breathing is unhealthy. That's kind of where things start to fall apart, the change from nose breathing to mouth breathing. So we're going to build a puzzle to work our way towards this so we can kind of see what exactly is the foundation that I kind of operate on in seeing my patients, making my diagnosis, and then guiding them into treatment. And it's all focused on the foundation. So it's a foundation first, teeth second approach. So now we think about the kids. So it all begins with the children and what might they be struggling with. So if we have mouth breathing or worse while we're sleeping, there's a pretty good chance that there are going to be symptoms that come about during the day. So children who breathe poorly at night may present with symptoms during the day. And they're in a lot of different categories. They're very, very variable in their presentation. Not every child has every symptom. Some children have one or two symptoms. 
we meet some children who have a dozen symptoms. So variable in their symptoms. But these are the categories today that when we're asking parents questions, we start to learn about what might be the struggles at home or at school or really anywhere. And it might be some things that you notice, whether you're at a restaurant or in a movie theater or at the park. So here comes the list of things that children struggle with today. The ADHD diagnosis, asthma, upper respiratory infections, ear infections, ear tubes, bedwetting, nightmares, night terrors, learning disabilities, clenching or grinding teeth, restless sleep, waking often, small or delayed growth, anxiety, depression, daytime sleepiness, overweight, night sweats, gastrointestinal distress, uh, anything that is with the gastrointestinal or GI is kind of the digestive system malfunctioning. We loosely talk about reflux today. A lot of people, including children and infants, now have a reflux issue. Emotional instability, mouth breathing, and whoop, a little too fast. So this list of things are things that we might notice, whether it's our family or the neighbors or uh, anyone around the schools, certainly areas where we are kind of in common settings like restaurants and or movie theaters, all of these things might kind of be present. Children who struggle means the families struggle. And if enough children struggle, then the schools struggle and et cetera. It kind of spills into the community. When we're thinking about these things, there, there's data. You can actually look up data. So a couple of examples would be bedwetting. Bedwetting, it turns out you can go to cdc.org and start looking up incidents, prevalence, all fancy words for how, how much of this is there really? Well, it turns out about 10% of all children bedwet up to the age of 12. So all of a sudden, that is significant. 10% of kids bedwetting up to the age of 12. We can think about overweight. How many children are overweight? Well, it turns out one out of three children is overweight. So it's about 34% of children, one out of three overweight. Now, obesity is another threshold. That's another level to reach. Obesity, it turns out, is exactly half of that. So 17 17% of children today are characterized as meeting the threshold for being obese. So 17% of children obese and one third are overweight. Now these numbers don't get better as we age. So in the, the overweight and the obesity category, if 17% is the childhood rate, it's unbelievable how in the adult it doubles. So it's 33% of adults. One third of adults are in the obese category and two thirds of the adults are in the overweight category. So by our medical standards, the thresholds for being considered overweight and obesity, 17 and 34 in children turns into 33 and 67 in adults. So much like other symptoms that are present in childhood, children don't outgrow things. They tend to get worse over time or just change form slightly. But typically an unhealthy child becomes an unhealthy adult. And a lot of this list can be rooted in how we're breathing and sleeping at night. And so we're gonna build this puzzle so we kind of get that picture of where this all comes from. So we start thinking about what's the most common type of malocclusion. And I, I'm sorry about that bad word, but malocclusion is a big fancy word for bad bite. It means your teeth aren't where they belong and your bite doesn't connect appropriately. So it's a fancy word for my teeth aren't perfectly aligned and connecting as they were made to or built to. And, and the, the, the biggest thing we would see in most humans is that there's crowding. The teeth don't all fit. So when the teeth don't all fit, we have crowding as our malocclusion or bad bite. And now when we think about the teeth, we have to reset our norm because when we say the teeth don't fit, we do mean 32. 
So in today's society, it's incredibly rare to find a human being that grows up and has 32 teeth where they belong. So if we don't have 32 teeth where they belong, well, we have crowding. We don't have enough room for those teeth to fit. And maybe the wisdom teeth were taken out when we were a teenager, or maybe other teeth were taken out to make the rest fit. But that is a different pathway where it accommodates the small foundation. So when we're thinking about crowding, for our teeth to be crowded and in a bad bite, it means the foundation has to be wrong. Well, what would be wrong with the foundation to make the teeth crowded? Undersized. So we think about smaller. So the foundation that our teeth are in, we have fancy words for that. There's an upper jaw and a lower jaw, the maxilla and the mandible. Well, the upper jaw and the lower jaw, if they're a little bit small, the teeth will not fit in. So when the teeth don't fit in, we see the crowded bad bite. So we think about describing the foundation in proper arch form. So this happens to be a V-shaped arch. So we'll compare it in a moment to a proper arch so we can see the difference. The second thing we're looking for is improper arch width. We can measure to see, well, how wide is the arch? Is the arch an appropriate width that could accommodate the teeth? And in dentistry, we have wonderful research dating way back all the way to kind of current that shows at certain arch widths when their jaws are growing well, the teeth fit in nicely. So we have these ranges that do exist. But the important part is to kind of see the difference between improper and proper arch form and width. So on the screen, we've got these two patients. Now, one of them is nine years old where they have mixed teeth. They have some permanent teeth, they have some adult teeth. And then they have these baby teeth in, in, the, in between. So we've got a mixture of teeth here, but the V-shaped arch, it's not so much about the teeth. Take a look at the foundation they're in. How does the gum look? How does the vault or the palate in the center look versus on the right side of the screen? So all of a sudden we have someone on the right side of the screen. This on the right side of the screen happens to be 13. So 13 years old, but on the right side of the screen, different. We've got the teeth in a proper arch form, a dome. So a proper arch form, we've got this beautiful shape of dome, but the width, it's wider. So we've got a good arch form with a good arch width. Those teeth are where they belong, but they got there because the foundation grew right. The jaw grew well, and it's a big difference when we're thinking about the pink foundation that's under the teeth. Now, the, the vault that we call the vault or the palate, that's a big, big piece of the puzzle. Because when the upper jaw is too small, the vault is a little higher. When the upper jaw is really wide, the vault would be lower, a more flat palate. Flat palate versus vaulted or peaked palate. So there's a big difference between improper arch form and width and proper arch form and width. And we're going to be kind of building this puzzle right along the way with all these pieces. So improper arch form and width are the results of inadequate development of the upper and lower jaws, fancy maxilla and mandible. But if the jaws are underdeveloped, the teeth don't fit in and the bite is wrong. Underdeveloped jaws give us our crowded teeth and bad bites. So we're kind of working our way in. We've got crowded teeth and bad bites. We can see that. But then, of course, the foundation takes just a little bit more looking for. So now we've got these underdeveloped jaws giving us that problem. We do want to reset. What do we think normal looks like? Because we don't see it very often. Most children have underdeveloped jaws with crowded teeth and a bad bite. And they might turn 12 or 13 years old and be in a position where, oh, it's time for braces. So that's kind of the traditional pathway that kids are on. But what about normal growth and development? What might that look like? Well, it does begin early. So we're going to take a look at the difference between these two children. So between three and five years old, we have our baby teeth. On the left side of the screen, we have an example of 
more normal growth and development. And on the right side of the screen, we have an example of what we would see as common, but not normal growth and development. So let's look at the difference. On the left side of the screen, normal growth and development is wide and forward. So when the jaws are spread out wide and forward, what we do is we get gaps between the baby teeth. So it would be normal for a child to be growing and you'd see a space between every baby tooth. So having spaces between the baby tooth, that's a good thing. But also when the child bites down, we should be able to see most of the bottom teeth. Visibility of the bottom teeth is important because it means that the lower jaw is forward matching the upper position as opposed to trapped way back and buried like the right side of the screen. On the right side of the screen, we're looking at the opposite. No spaces between the baby teeth. And when the child bites down, it can't see the bottom teeth. They're hidden. Now we call that a deeper bite, the closing, closing the bite further to you know, hide the teeth in here. A deeper bite is not very good for us. So what's happening is we're seeing the difference here between what would be considered normal growth and development on the left and what's very common. So an example would be my office where I would look at several hundred sets of baby teeth every year. So if I see children in the range of several hundred of these a year, the left side of the screen is something that I would recognize only one, maybe two children a year. So less than one out of a hundred of the kids come in with a gap between the teeth, a view of the bottom teeth. They have a really good bite. Now, the other thing that we notice is when we're asking questions, when we start asking questions about the symptoms that a moment ago we were thinking about, oh, these children have these symptoms that are out there. Well, it turns out on the left side of the screen, when you have gaps between your teeth and you can see your bottom teeth, you're more likely to be nose breathing day and night. When you're nose breathing day and night, you sleep better. When you sleep better, you get cleaned and refreshed and rejuvenated for the next day. It turns out you have less symptoms. So on the left side of the screen, while that is an example of normal growth and development, it's incredibly rare, but it also is usually attached to a child that is healthier. On the right side of the screen, in looking at several hundred sets of baby teeth a year, several hundred children coming through, super common is the right side. No space, deep bite, I can't see the bottom teeth. Now that, while it's super common, it doesn't make it normal. Normal and common are two different things. Normal growth and development on your left happens to be rare. On the right side of the screen, underdeveloped jaws, baby teeth that have no space. When baby teeth have no space, you grow up to an adult who will have crowded teeth. The permanent teeth are gonna come in crowded. But on the right side of the screen, when you start asking the questions, oh, the ADHD, the bedwetting, the nightmares, the ear infections, the waking at night, the restless sleep, the night sweats, that list a moment ago, very common. So not only do we have less space in the teeth and a worse bite, we also get more symptoms. We have an unhealthy child. So the normal growth and development, we don't see it very much, but it's usually attached to a healthier child. And the poor growth and development or underdeveloped jaws where there's no space in the baby teeth and a poor bite comes with more symptoms. That child doesn't breathe as well through their nose. And if you cannot breathe as well through your nose, you're going to breathe through your mouth or worse. And that's how it disrupts our sleep. Now, on the left side of the screen, that five-year-old is gonna grow up. So one day they're gonna be bigger, but here's a picture of them. And it's basically just a profile x-ray. This is the five-year-old on the left side of the screen, back a step, the one with the gaps between the teeth. When we look at this child's growth, the picture shows spacing between the teeth. So I know they're growing wide, but how might I know they're growing forward? Well, when the jaws are growing forward, it gives us more room behind the tongue. So we think about the nostril. It's very easy to find the nostril. If you find the nostril, just pretend you're the air when you inhale. 
when you inhale, the air goes in the nostril, it goes up into the nasal cavity, but then it's gonna follow its way through this tube. So we'll call that a tube. It turns out that tube is what we loosely call our airway. The airway is the passageway that the air will follow from your nose to your lung. So there are more fancy words for this chamber. We'll call those out later, but nostril through the tube to the lung. Well, the space we have here, if we think about this gap, this is a very big roadway. This is a wonderful gap. We could think about this space like the size of a garden hose. A garden hose is wonderful to breathe through. When the jaws are growing forward, there's more space here, more space, better airflow, better breathing. But when the jaws don't grow forward, we're gonna see some kids don't have a garden hose here. They have a coffee stirring straw. A coffee stirring straw is not as good to breathe through. So this happens to be the profile picture or x-ray of a child growing well. So now all of a sudden we've got a space, better breathing, better sleeping, healthier child. In our office, in my practice, we refer to this child as an endangered species. This child is an endangered species and or a unicorn because we can only find those credentials one out of several hundred children. Spaces between the teeth, view of the bottom teeth, forward growing, garden hose behind, breathes with their nose most of the day and night, sleeps well, and does not have a symptom list. They're considered healthy. Endangered species, very rare. Now that child is going to grow up and one day they'll be 12. Well, guess how they get to 12? And this is on their own. This child is one of the rare ones that grows into their adult teeth, does not have any type of orthodontics or help getting here. This is just naturally on their own. We have a broad, wide arch with a nice form. So we think about our credentials before. We would like a proper arch form. That's a beautiful shape, a nice dome of teeth. At an appropriate arch width, this child measures appropriately for arch width display of good development. And the shallow vault is there too. This is excellent foundational growth, beautiful tooth placement, and the lower teeth follow the same. So this child is growing on their own all by themselves. They get to here. The right and left pictures kind of show how the teeth connect. For the parents, we would tell you the teeth connect well. The dental and professional, the dental professional world knows, hey, that's how the teeth are supposed to connect. That's a good bite. But meanwhile, it comes with this view at the front showing us, wow, that is a lot of teeth in good position with a beautiful bite. I can see most of the bottom teeth, excellent. And all of these teeth are well aligned in a beautiful bite that is healthy and protective. This bite can last a very long time, chewing all the food, but not having any deterioration because it's kind of meant to be here. This 12 year old gets here all by themselves. So if you think about in, in uh, dentistry, our dental professionals, we would think about how many five-year-olds do identify that have all of the gaps in their teeth, have the bottom view, have the airway, so to speak, and no symptoms. Then they grow up to be 12 and have all of this. And you say, oh, wow, your teeth are really where they belong. You don't need braces. What child gets to avoid braces or grow this way on their own today? And then for parents, you could think about how many kids get braces or how many kids need braces, lots of them. So the teeth are out of position because the jaws are underdeveloped and we're gonna to have to build a bigger puzzle as we get through this because we wanna know why. So while we understand that lots of kids are going to need braces to straighten their teeth when they're 12 or 14, and we're gonna pursue that option in a moment when we think about the alternatives, but wouldn't it be better to know why we have all of the crowded teeth and the bad bites? Why are the jaws underdeveloped in almost all of the children that we see today? Meaning it's, incredibly rare to meet a child who will go from young to middle 
to teen and then end up with 32 teeth where they belong because a well-grown set of jaws delivers 32 teeth in position without intervention. What child grows up to 32 teeth all where they belong today? Most kids will be lucky to get to 28, meaning the wisdom tooth extraction rate is very high in teenagers. We only have room for the first 28, but technically the first 28 didn't even fit because when any braces to straighten those out, on top of that, there are a number of children who the first 28 don't even fit. And some people suggest taking out additional teeth to make the rest fit in there. So that's a particular pathway. We'll pursue that later as we get into treatment options. But we want to talk about why the jaws are underdeveloped. And it turns out there is an incredible history and volume of anthropology research that shows us the answer. Why are the jaws underdeveloped? So we learned from a premier anthropologist, Dr. Robert Corcini. So I'm, I'm introducing you to an anthropologist, but more specifically and specialized, he's a head and neck anthropologist. And one more level, more specific, he's actually a malocclusion anthropologist. So craziest thing is that he is a bad bite expert when it comes to where does this come from in the human race? How did the human race develop all of these bad bites and crowded teeth? Did it come from somewhere specific or, or not? So lots of research, lots of books and publications. Of course, there's fossil and skull studies and measurements over the generations of humans around the globe. And then of course, there's population studies to see what happens in a population over time, where might these changes be that could trigger something like this change from well-grown jaws with nice teeth to very crowded teeth in badly grown jaws. So we take a look at a book. He wrote a book which has everything in it, which is very nice. And the title is, how anthropology informs the orthodontic diagnosis of malocclusion's causes. I know that's a mouthful, but basically anthropology research gives us the answer for what is the cause of malocclusion. So having a bad bite, underdeveloped jaws, crooked teeth, a bad bite comes from somewhere. There's a cause of it. And what we learned from Dr. Corcini and all others like him, because the anthropology research is, is um, worldwide universally understood as being uh, correct. There, there isn't a controversy here in that prior to 400 years ago, there's little to no malocclusion in the human race. So prior to 400 years ago, human beings don't really display underdeveloped jaws with crowded teeth and bad bites. Most of the skulls overwhelmingly that are unearthed prior to 400 years ago show big jaws, fully grown, 32 teeth in place. That's wonderful. Then all of a sudden, we start seeing changes over time, which in the last 400 years is considered very recent for a big change. So if we think about prior to 400 years ago, it turns out most human beings grow their jaws fully, have all their teeth go where they belong, and they have the right bite. Uniformity. Population studies start to give lots of information. As anthropologists travel the world and study isolated, rural, natural, aboriginal, basically cultures that are not Western industrial influenced yet, they start to recognize there is a trend as cultures start to, we'll use the word advance for now, but as cultures start to advance towards the Western industrial model, what they recognize is this change. The early cultures before Western industrial influence, breastfeeding is followed by a hard diet. So before Western industrial influence, the early hard diet begins six to nine months old. So in any culture around the world, wherever you follow on the globe, the anthropology research that shows breastfeeding is followed by hard food. That hard diet begins at six to nine months old when an infant can actually start to grab and hold and gnaw. 
So harder food early, turns out harder food early works the jaw muscles more. When the jaw muscles have to work harder, the bone grows better. So in a human being, the bone actually responds to the muscle, not the other way around. So bone yields to muscle, form follows function. So all of a sudden the early hard diet, it starts to become clear to the anthropologist that, uh-oh, the early hard food works the jaw muscles better, which grows the bone better, which means the teeth come in better, fully grown jaws, better tooth positioning. So there's little to no evidence of malocclusion when you have the culture going from the breastfeeding to the hard food, but also very little incidence of inflammatory or degenerative diseases. It's not just the oral cavity or mouth, it's the whole body. There's little to no variation. In all cultures around the world, pre-industrial, pre-Western influence, meaning hard diet, six to nine months old, the natural order of living for human beings, their skulls grow similarly so that all 32 teeth are present in a uniform bite. There's no variation amongst the biting positioning of the teeth. But now what happens is we have the opportunity over the last you know, couple of hundred years from documentation through anthropological research to show how these populations become exposed to Western cultures. When the trade of food begins, the diet gets softer. So food trade is one of the early things that happens to a culture and it happens globally, but then you can track the rates of malocclusion over time. This leads immediately to hard, soft diet studies. So the anthropology community does these hard, soft diet studies. They take a group of animals that's young and growing, separate them into obviously two halves. So you've got this animal group that you're going to work with. And what you're going to do is you're going to collect their natural habitat diet. So they are going to get the same food that's in their natural habitat only. Half of the animals will get the food as it exists in nature, naturally. And the other half, same exact food, but pureed, blended. Welcome to Gerber. So now you got the mush. And it turns out when the animals eat the same exact food, but you change the consistency, hard or soft, the animals grow differently. So the softer diet animals, the one who are eating it by mush, have smaller body mass. They don't grow to the same size. And they have less dense bone. Now, less dense bone is a phenomenal finding because all we've done here is change the consistency of the food early. But it turns out the entire skeleton of any animal group that has an early soft diet is weaker. Less dense bone means weaker bone structure. So less dense bone body-wide is the result of an early soft diet. Now, if the food is softer, then your musculature does not remain or stay strong. It becomes smaller and weaker. So if we think about the oral muscles, the tongue is really the primary one. If the early food is hard, we've gone from breastfeeding to hard food, the tongue maintains its strength. Well, harder food requires extra activity to work on. The tongue maintains strength. But it's just like any other muscle. If we introduce softer food and the tongue only has to drink the food, it doesn't require musculature. We lose it. <clears throat> so when we think about musculature, let's think about going to the gym. If we go to the gym for a year with a trainer and we are worked by that trainer appropriately, we're going to be very happy with the results. How will our muscles look? Terrific. But we don't get to keep it if we then leave the gym and the trainer. All of a sudden, the weeks will turn into months and we'll start to lose that physique we built. Without maintenance, we lose it. One step further, let's say we go to the gym for a whole year. We work our musculature. We have an impressive physique that we're very happy with. Strength and it looks good. But we then, we lay down for three weeks. Bedridden is the word we use for someone who gets sick enough that they have to lay down for three weeks. 
Can you imagine what would happen if you did 12 months in the gym with a trainer, built a physique that was visibly strong, then you lay down for three weeks, it's all gone. It only takes three weeks for all the muscles to atrophy, whether it's the tongue or the whole body. So basically when we switch from breastfeeding to softer foods, it takes about three weeks for the tongue to lose its strength. But when the tongue loses its strength, the bones don't grow. Narrower maxilla, fancy words for underdeveloped upper jaw. Smaller mandible, fancy words for underdeveloped lower jaw. Thinner alveolus, fancy words for the bone that the teeth are actually in, the section of the bone the teeth are in is thinner or smaller itself. And then smaller condyles, more fancy words for the connection of the lower jaw to the skull. The condyle is the piece on the side where a lot of people who have heard of TMJ or TMD, or I've got a TMJ problem, the condyle is the part of the lower jaw that connects it to the skull. That's even smaller. So these words are our fancy words for the result of, of smaller, weaker oral musculature. But we get our smaller, weaker oral musculature from early soft food. Softer food early, less jaw growth and development. So softer food, weaker muscles, less bone growth. The way the human being works, again, bone yields to muscle. So the form follows your function. If the function is really strong, your form will be represented as fully grown jaws. What about the prevalence by generation? Meaning how fast does this come on? Because anthropology research dates back, they could track these cultures that start to trade food and have softer food. And it turns out in just one generation, which one generation is 20 to 25 years of exposure to prepared, processed, preserved, softer foods, the malocclusion rate is 50%. Then it jumps in the second generation to 70. It jumps in the third to 85. By the fourth generation, 90%. So we break 90% and then we get variation. Well, variation is just the teeth going awkwardly. The bite is so wrong that you might have a crossbite on one side or the other, or you might have a class one bite or a class two bite or a class three bite, or you might have a deep bite and can't see the bottom teeth. You might have an open bite where you can't close your teeth. You might have the top teeth really far ahead of the bottom teeth. You might have the bottom teeth ahead of the top teeth. All of the things that are variable come from the poor muscular, poor musculature. So now this is very fast. 50, 70, 85, 90. This is 20, 40, 60, 80 years. This is an 80 to 100 year range. Prior to 400 years ago, little to no incidence of malocclusion. 400 years plus is when all of a sudden this transitioning occurs and then it accelerates. And once any culture is exposed to early soft food, it follows this track. These percentages hold for almost any culture that's ever been studied according to their food trade. So where are we today with the children? Children today in 2023 here in America are seventh and eighth generation post-industrial Western influence. So what we have with kids today being seventh and eighth generation, that's way down the line from the early soft diet being introduced seven and eight generations ago. So we'll go with seventh. We'll, we're going to tag their parents at sixth generation. Children today are sixth generation. Grandparents, fifth generation. The great grandparents are fourth. So if we think, if we think about this, the great-grandparents of the kids you see today run a better than 90% rate of malocclusion. Because taking that one more look back here, fourth generation of industrial Western-influenced soft diet is a 90% malocclusion rate. Children today are seventh and eighth generation post 
Western industrial soft diet introduction. So all of a sudden we recognize that, hey, this is in all the generations that we see today. The kids have it, the grandparents have it, great-grandparents have it. All of them have it because you have to go back a long time to find people who don't have it. Now, the reason we bring this up is because these are your two pathways to learn about whether or not something is in your genes. Is it genetic? And just because a child has it, the parent has it, the grandparent has it, and the great-grand doesn't make it genetic. It just means you all had the same exact environment influence too. So a couple of examples of that. In a culture where, let's say, foot wrapping or foot binding is practiced on younger uh, growing individuals, you can wrap the foot to maintain its size. And as the child might grow, their skeleton might grow, the foot, if it's wrapped, stays the same size, small. It might look like the size of a golf club head. But all of a sudden you would recognize, oh, the teenager has it. The mom has a small foot. The grandmother and great-grandmother have a, well, they all have small feet. That doesn't make it genetic. They were all wrapped. It was an environmental influence. Cultures that practice neck rings, the placement of neck rings early in life, one by one by one, can actually influence the growth and length of a human neck. Cultures that practice those, you would recognize that the teenager has an extension of their neck. It's longer from the ring placement. But so does the parent and so does the grandparent. Well, that doesn't mean that a long neck is in their genes. It, long neck was influenced by the environment. Same thing with the soft food. To go one step further, the anthropology community conducts a lot of discussions and or not as much research because it's unnecessary with the genetic community. Turns out 50% is an important number. The genetic community explains to us that for a trait that's visible, like bad bites, malocclusion, to appear at a 50% rate when it was near zero. So a trait in humans that goes from near zero to half the population has it. It's a significant threshold, that marker, because a genetic change to make something from infrequent to 50%, it takes genes 27,000 years to produce that change. So for something like this to go from near zero to 50%, 27,000 years would be the time frame where genetics could be blamed on it. 50% is a 20-year rate when you introduce soft food, one generation one generation. So it's not in the genes, it's in the environment. It's acquired this condition. So one second. Um, there's a question here. What are examples of some hard foods for a six to nine uh, month old to eat? Oh yeah. So going back to, because a lot of people ask this question, what do I do? What do I do? So the, the six to nine months old, if we think about natural cultures, pre-industrial, pre-Western living, one of the primary sources of food would be the meat product. And the meat product that is attained would be cured. So if you're thinking about primitive cultures where there's no processing, no preserving, no, no anything to preserve something or soften it, what happens is cured meat, we call it jerky. So it's like beef, jerky, 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 all this jerky, but it's like a leather. Curing meat with salt is basically a leather product. So pre-industrial, pre-Western living, infants would gnaw on the, the leather product working the musculature. What we look for today is we have to transition because most likely we're already in the soft food. We go to a book. There's a very good resource for parents. It's called Baby Led Weaning. And maybe you can put that into the information somewhere for the audience. But Baby Led Weaning, Gil Rapley and Tracy Merquette. That book is an instruction manual for parents. How to introduce the infant to solid foods appropriately. Baby Led Weaning, the title right there. The baby leads the change to the hard food when they can grab it and start to gnaw on it. So 
there's a pathway to learn how to feed a child appropriately, which was the natural course of human history up until here comes softer blended food. That is not the natural course of human history. And it does change how we grow. So all of a sudden we have these kind of quotes from the anthropology community. Dietary consistency and toughness promote proper bone growth and proper permanent tooth eruption, bringing about ideal occlusion, the bite. So then of course, when non-resistant processed foods become ubiquitous after industrialization and the erupting and cuspal coordination of teeth lose critical pathfinder influence of vigorous masticatory pressures, malocclusion shows a rapid rise. This is basically the formal way to say introducing softer foods into a population delivers underdeveloped jaws and crowded teeth and bad bites. And it's uniform across all populations that change from their early soft food, uh, early hard food to softer foods. So basically you're looking at a, a world of people that have crowded teeth and bad bites. But we want to take this a step further because having crowded teeth and a bad bite, there might be more going on underneath. So we'd like to know what is the real result of having an underdeveloped upper and lower jaw. We want to check our anatomy because crowded teeth is bad. A bad bite is bad. We want to address these things. But when the jaws are too small, is there something happening underneath? And the answer is yes. So this picture shows us in this lovely yellow color, the upper jaw. So everybody can find the teeth. There's the lower teeth and then there's the upper teeth. So the upper teeth are held in the upper jaw and the maxilla is our fancy word for the upper jaw. But the upper jaw does a whole lot more than just hold our upper teeth. Actually, the upper jaw builds this little triangle in the center of the screen. That's our nose. So nasal cavity, fancy word for nose, nasal cavity. Well, it turns out the maxilla, when we look in the mouth, we saw the roof of the mouth. But the roof of the mouth, the piece that goes straight across the roof of the mouth, is also the floor of the nose. Roof of the mouth, floor of the nose. The side walls of the nose, that's our maxilla. So our maxilla is the side. So I'm going to throw my hands up here for a second. I'm going to use my fingers. Hopefully I'll get this centered in the camera nicely for you. I'm going to make the triangle that is our nose with my fingers. Now, my thumbs are the roof of the mouth or the floor of the nose, which way we're looking at it, right? When our maxilla grows fully, early hard diet, fully grown maxilla, the roof of the mouth is shallow and the walls are separated pretty far. This is the result of good growing bone. But here's what happens with the early soft diet. The maxilla, the side walls are coming in and the vault or the palate is going up, but the roof going up is the floor of the nose going up. All of a sudden we've got this. This underdeveloped maxilla, what we see in the mouth is crowded teeth with a bad bite, but underneath we have a smaller nasal cavity, smaller chamber to breathe through. Now it, it gets a little worse for a moment because when the, the vault or roof of the mouth, floor of the nose, this palate, when it's rising from the collapse of the maxilla, the underdeveloped maxilla, it has an effect on the inside of the nose. In the center of the nose, we have a septum. It's the little dividing panel. It's like a little room divider right down the middle of the nose, nasal septum. When the, when the roof of the mouth is going higher, the septum in the center gets compressed. Well, compressed means bent, deflected, and here comes the word deviated. So how do you get a deviated septum from underdeveloped jaws? So as the roof of the mouth is folding up and the walls are coming in, the septum in the middle goes to one side. Now, we've got a smaller chamber and the septum is going one way. 
all of a sudden we have difficulty breathing through our nose. This is not a big chamber to breathe through. So we're having an effect on our garden hose, so to speak, with the underdeveloped upper jaw. So the deviated septum going to one side, it makes one nostril bad. Or do we have a bad nostril and a worse nostril? Is it a good nostril and a bad nostril or a bad nostril and a worse nostril? So it turns out because the whole complex is small, both nostrils are bad. But when the septum goes one way, that one's worse. So the effect of the underdeveloped jaw is that now we have a nasal chamber or nose that has a bad nostril to breathe through and a worse nostril to breathe through, depending upon which way the septum might have gone. This is only from the front view. The underdeveloped maxilla that's narrow, all of a sudden crowded teeth becomes, I can't breathe as well because the maxilla makes up the nose. Now we got to turn this to the side. We got to take a look at the side view. So before we looked at an x-ray of a side view and I was talking about garden hose. I was talking, about, oh, there's a garden hose for that child way back when there. Color, we put some color in here. We've been saying the word airway. We're gonna keep saying the word airway because it's kinder. But the airway basically to be professional, we would say nasal cavity. That's the first part of the airway. The second part is the nasopharynx. The third part is the oropharynx. And the fourth part is the laryngopharynx. So I apologize for those words. But it's the reason we say airway, because nobody wants to say nasal cavity, nasopharynx, oropharynx, laryngopharynx, over and over. We know the nose is compromised by the maxilla being narrow and vaulted. Trouble to get the air into here. But when we're when our jaws are underdeveloped, they're narrow and back. They don't grow wide and forward. So the early hard diet gives us wide and forward growth. The early soft diet gives us narrow and back. But narrow and back, if the upper jaw is back, well, the upper jaw being back means less color less color, less airflow, worse breathing. Guess what happens when the upper jaw is back? The lower jaw also small and back. When the lower jaw is back, it's holding the tongue. Then the tongue is back. If the lower jaw is back, the tongue is back, less color here. So all of a sudden the puzzle pieces start to fit. If our jaws are underdeveloped, what we see as crowded teeth really turns into our jaws are too narrow and too far back to breathe well through our nose. And if we can't breathe well through our nose and we don't have room for our tongue to fit between all our teeth, it could only be back. So now if we don't breathe well through our nose because the air can't get by here, the mouth opens and we start breathing through our mouth. It generates what's called compensation. The compensation for I can't breathe well through my nose is I will mouth breathe. And these are two different pathways entirely. One of them is wildly healthy. That would be nose breathing, but mouth breathing is wildly unhealthy. They're not similar. They're opposites. Nose breathing, incredibly healthy. Nose breathing is the only pathway that a, a human being has for having full health is through nose breathing 24-7, 365. And mouth breathing or worse is wildly unhealthy and it's going to send that child down the unhealthy road and we're about to see it. This is a 10-year-old. We're gonna focus on the airway, the tube. So we immediately find the nostril. We find the nostril. The air goes in the nostril, it goes through that nasal cavity, and it goes through this tube. This child is an example of one that is growing well. So they have a beautiful airway, a garden hose to breathe through. And coincidentally, they have no symptoms. When we take a history and we learn about all the little things we were talking about, whether it's grinding the teeth or bedwetting or night sweats or nightmares or waking at night or snoring or mouth breathing or worse, all of a sudden we recognize that child is pretty free from the symptoms and the parents by observation would report, yeah, you know, it turns out when they're sleeping, their mouth is closed and their nasal breathing is silent and invisible. That's wonderful. That's good news. So when we think about 
other children we meet, they might look like this. Also a 10-year-old. It's a big difference. This is also a 10-year-old. We find the nostril. The air goes in the nostril. This child happens to be narrow and back. Because the jaws did not grow forward, there's less room back here. This is a very tiny airway. This is the coffee straw I was referring to. This child cannot breathe well. And sure enough, when you take a history, there's a full history, but we're gonna compare the two kids. So all of a sudden we learn about these children. The left side of the screen has no symptoms to report for the entirety of their 10 years. They are doing very well. They are a healthy child. On the right side of the screen, the symptoms begin very early. Between one and two years old, the parents noticed the child was turning blue when they were sleeping. When the child is turning blue, they wake them up. They go back to the pediatrician. They describe what they're seeing. They're advised, sleep in shifts because one parent has to stay awake to observe the child sleeping. If they turn blue, you wake them up. Around three years old, they agree to take out the tonsils and adenoids. It makes very little difference in the sleeping. The child doesn't turn blue anymore, but they cannot sleep more than two hours. So now we're up to a four-year-old who cannot sleep more than two hours. So all of a sudden we have a child breathing poorly, sleeping poorly. The turning blue part is gone when the tonsils and adenoids come out, yet we're four years old. We still don't sleep through the night. We're waking up every two hours. We turn to six years old. By six years old, the child is in school and the behavior is there. So we start recognizing the phone calls coming in. Very common for the school to call. So, well, your child has attention and focus issues. They're hyperactive. They're distractions in the classroom. Please have them evaluated. Age six gets the diagnosis, ADHD, gets the medication to begin. It's not very effective. <clears throat> so all of a sudden, we have a six-year-old taking medication. By age seven, it hasn't made that big a difference, so there's a second medication to add to the first one. By age eight, it hasn't really made that big an impact, so a third medication, then nine, four. By the time we meet the child, they're 10 years old and they have four medications that they're taking to manage the symptoms that are there and treating the symptoms is different than the cause. So it really hasn't helped that child very much. Still a 10-year-old that the parent reports has not slept through the night yet, not one night in their entire history do they remember sleeping through the night. He's up every two to three hours. Now, this is what's underneath. So what's underneath is totally visible on the outside. We can recognize the difference in the jaw growth and development. Now, again, on the left side of the screen is proper jaw growth and development wide and forward. And the patient on the left has no symptoms, very healthy, is a nose breather. But the characteristics <coughs> that they display are their lips are well ahead of their eyes. When the jaws grow well, your profile shows that your eyes are in one plane and your lips are in another, forward. Forward growth delivers a jawline that's more distinct, as opposed to if our eyes and lips are in the same plane, we haven't grown forward. The jaws being back, the airway is smaller. But when the jaws go back, the neck pops out. We have an angle. This is compensation to allow for the best opportunity for air to pass. So if we're looking at the profile of a child, we could tell by just the profile view how well they might be able to breathe or not. Going back, this is what's underneath. This is what we see outside. Of course, the child on the right side of the screen is wildly unhealthy by the time we meet them at 10 years old. And sure enough, that child cannot breathe. So we would take them into treatment. 
expansion, growth and development, myofunctional therapy, all the things we're going to talk about when we do a live example. But the short story for that child is that they go through treatment, grow the jaws wire, while, wider and forward. Then all of a sudden we can breathe through our nose. We restore the nasal breathing, work on the musculature to make sure that it's behaving properly. When you get the jaw growth and development back, you get the breathing back, you get the sleeping back. As the child heals, they can reduce their medication, go through school as an A student, graduate from high school, go to an engineering school, become an engineer. And now at age 28, because I'm doing this for 20 years, this is one of the way old cases, 28 years old, living in Manhattan as an engineer and has you know a, a beautiful, successful life as opposed to struggling the entirety of the life. But it's also an example of 10 years old is starting seven years late. We could have helped that child at three, but we didn't. I'm lucky to have met him at 10. But all the signs are there. Now, we got to talk a little bit about this nasal breathing, mouth breathing difference. Yep, a human being can breathe through their mouth. That does not mean it's healthy. We are not built to be a mouth breather. A human being is an obligate nasal breather. So here's the difference between nasal and mouth breathing. When you breathe through your nose, the air is fully prepared for the lungs. So the lungs are responsible for exchange, right? Generally, the lungs, they exchange for us. Bring the good stuff in, get the bad stuff out. Let's make an exchange. Well, it's important how that exchange runs. And in order to keep good balance of the ingredients that might mean we're healthy, we need it to come through the nose. So what the nose does is it filters, it warms, it humidifies, it accelerates. The nose does every single function to that air from the nostril to the back of the throat. So the air is perfectly prepared when it goes into the lung, perfectly prepared air can be exchanged better. So all of a sudden the exchange is more appropriate. We have better balance with our breathing of the ingredients coming in and out. You can function properly by breathing through your nose. However, the mouth breathing, I'll use my hand again. So my hand is the airway. My fingertips are the nostril. The air goes in the nostril and it goes up into our nose, nasal cavity, goes through all those chambers. And the rest of my hand is the rest of the tube, the garden hose. So all of a sudden we've got this airflow going like this. Nasal breathing prepares that air. It cleans it perfectly for the lung. But let's think about mouth breathing. Mouth breathing, the air goes straight into the back of the throat. This is our mouth breathing direction. So if the air, if our mouth is open and the air goes straight into the back of the throat, the air hits the back of the throat first. It hasn't been prepared properly by any of the, the structures that are supposed to clean it. So all of a sudden, the air hits the tonsils first. Big trouble. Air hits the tonsils first. It irritates them. Air coming in the mouth irritates the tonsils. They get bigger. They compound our problem. They make it worse. So all of a sudden, it's the mouth breathing that makes the tonsils and adenoids bigger, not the other way around. Some people have a perspective that big tonsils and adenoids create a breathing or airway problem, but they're not the cause of it. So the pathway is that the early soft diet delivers the weak muscles. The weak muscles deliver the undersized jaws. The undersized jaws make it difficult to breathe through our nose. When we can't breathe through our nose, we compensate, we breathe through our mouth. When we breathe through our mouth, the tonsils and adenoids get enlarged it makes our problem worse. So tonsil adenoid size isn't the cause of poor breathing. They're first the result of poor breathing, but they make you worse. So it's a gallon of gasoline on an inferno that was already running. The early soft diet starts the inferno. Now you've got this raging fire. 
And of course, because of the mouth breathing, the tonsil adenoid size is coming second from poor breathing. Then your worst breathing is coming. So here we go. We're spiraling out of control. But more importantly, the mouth will not filter warm humidify. It will not create that air that's perfect for the lung. And then the lung can't make its exchange properly. We get less in and out. So all of a sudden, we have a problem with the balance of the ingredients that we're supposed to be exchanging. Oxygen is at the top of the list, of course, but there are two other ones that are very important, carbon dioxide and nitric oxide. Fancy words, but loosely speaking, nose breathing balances all three. Proper oxygen levels, proper carbon dioxide levels, and proper nitric oxide levels. When those three are balanced and proper, thanks to nose breathing, we run the best. It's like getting the best fuel in. When we breathe through our mouth, turns out mouth breathing, you can with mouth breathing keep the oxygen high. That's possible. It's the other two that suffer. When the carbon dioxide and nitric oxide are lower from mouth breathing, that throws imbalance into the equation. Imbalance means we start to malfunction. When we lose carbon dioxide and nitric oxide to mouth breathing, it the number one effect it has is on the cardiovascular system. It starts to change how the heart works, how the vessels are working. And all of a sudden, this spiral towards that poor breathing and the poor sleeping are connected because your brain does not like when your body's kind of malfunctioning and poor breathing wakes the brain up to do a different job, fix it, correct it, try to do something to help you breathe better. Turns out though, when you're mouth breathing, if you're mouth breathing and your brain decides, hey, that's not right, I should fix that, it turns off its cleaning mechanism. So it's not cleaning and resetting you while you're sleeping. So sleeping, when we're nose breathing, the brain is busy all night long. It's a cleaner. First it cleans itself, then it cleans the rest of the body. So the brain is very active all night. And the only way that the brain can do its cleaning role to reset the human being for the next day is if the air is going through the nose. As soon as the air goes in the mouth, the brain turns off the cleaning and then it does functions to help you breathe better. It focuses on the breathing problem. Focusing on the breathing problem, you are no longer getting cleaned, reset, rejuvenated, refreshed. You're not sleeping properly. So quantity and quality. When we're talking about sleeping, quantity is numbers, hours. Quality, the direct quality relationship of sleeping is how are you breathing? Is it through your nose or through your mouth? If you're breathing through your nose, quality of sleep exists. If you're breathing through your mouth, there's no quality. Now, here's the problem. There is no quantity of sleep that can overcome poor quality of sleep. There is no opportunity to sleep more to make up for mouth breathing. If you're mouth breathing or worse at night, you have a very unhealthy situation going on at any age. You do not have to be obstructive sleep apnea to be in the worst category. Obstructive sleep apnea is the worst possible breathing out there. But to give an analogy, obstructive sleep apnea, we're gonna tag that in our analogy as stage four cancer. Stage four cancer, well, that's the worst you could be. That's obstructive sleep apnea. But do you know what that makes mouth breathing? Makes mouth breathing stage one cancer. So when you think about mouth breathing and nose breathing, I want you to think about the difference between stage one and stage four cancer. They're both bad, but one is really worse. No one, no one in their right mind would say, oh, uh, I'm just mouth breathing. So it's just a little unhealthy. I'm going to wait until I'm obstructive sleep apnea to treat it. In other words, oh, I'm only stage one cancer? Yay. Why don't I just come back in a few years when I'm stage four? Because I understand there's treatment at stage four. We'll treat it at stage... No. So 
to give you perspective on how bad mouth breathing is for a human being, mouth breathing is a stage one cancer level, very unhealthy. But stage four is the worst you could possibly be. That's OSA. Mouth breathing is very bad for any human being. So now getting back to where we are here, a child who mouth breathes at night is in big trouble in multiple directions. Sleep disorder breathing is anything, mouth breathing, I'm calling it stage one cancer, mouth breathing, to obstructive sleep apnea, the worst you could be, stage four, my analogy. Mouth breathing, snoring, upper airway resistance syndrome, obstructive sleep apnea. Sleep disorder breathing is anything other than nice nose breathing. Silent nose breathing, healthy. Anything else, you are sleep disorder breathing, you're generically labeled until you have a specific diagnosis. Mouth breathing is very common, day and night, but at night it's very bad. So mouth breathing during the day is bad for you. Mouth breathing at night is worse for you because your brain can't do its job to clean you. We learn a lot. Decreased nasal breathing. If we struggle to breathe through our nose, it changes. The fancy words are biochemistry and physiology during sleep. But because of the imbalance in the ingredients, we end up in a position where we are labeled or called sleep fragmented. Sleep fragmentation or disruption of the reparative sleep cycle is what ultimately delivers an unhealthy child who grows up to be an unhealthy adult. When you are sleep fragmented, for a parent to think about this, it's like sleep deprivation. Sleep deprivation is what parents experience when they bring home the newborn. You're up every two hours cleaning and feeding and changing this thing so you can keep it healthy and, and, and you know you love it, so you do it. But you know what sleep deprived is. Waking every two hours to help an infant is a pathway to being sleep deprived. Well, waking or having restless sleep every couple of hours when you're breathing through your mouth is also sleep deprived or sleep fragmented. So we learn a lot about this. We're gonna talk about a couple of kids, but one of the researchers that's out there for people to look into is Dr. Karen Bonick. And Dr. Karen Bonick, B-O-N-U-C-K, she did a lot of research on children who are sleep disorder breathing or worse to learn a few big items from it. Number one, and she published this in 2012. So it was six or seven years of research published in 2012 to learn. Number one, Children who have sleep disorder breathing, mouth breathing or worse, will have lower IQs than children who nose breathe while they're sleeping. That is a big finding. So mouth breathing or worse impairs your cognitive development and your cognitive ability. Her research showed while IQ testing children over time, poor breathing while sleeping is a pathway to cognitive impairment, lower IQ. So huge, important to breathe better earlier. Then she learned about the ADHD connection, ADHD behavior. In the behavior category, hyperactivity, focus, attention, the things that are described as ADHD, those things are related to the manner in which you sleep and breathe. It turns out there is a correlation between poor breathing at night, poor breathing, poor sleeping at night, to behavior the next day. And her research shows that. So Bonick, B-O-N-U-C-K, Dr. Karen Bonick, YouTube. You YouTube her, sleep disorder breathing kids, watch a few clips of her being interviewed. And in a moment's notice, you start recognizing most of the patients I refer to check her videos or watch, they they say right away, she's describing our child. Like that, that's exactly what she's describing is our, our kid, how the, this is all related. So yes, connecting the cognitive or neurological impairment to the breathing and also the behavioral was thanks to Dr. Karenbach and others just throwing out some of the big names there. So you know where to go. We, we should look at a couple of kids real quick before we field some questions. So here we're gonna have, yeah. So here we're going to, we're going to get in early here. Age three. What a wonderful time to do this because 
the early soft diet begins in the months of age. So six months, nine months, we're giving the early food, which means we lose the growth of the jaws between zero and two. So zero to two, it turns out zero to two is when the majority of the jaw growth occurs. 54% is when we get most of the jaw growth and development. 54% is zero to two. And from two to four is another 15 to 20%. So by four years old, you're up to about 70% of your jaw growth and development. But if you have early soft food, we lose it. So we're going to see facial growth issues here for this child. We're going to see sleep sort of breathing because we can take a history and learn trouble falling asleep. The child has a lot of difficulty falling asleep. She wakes at night. She has baby teeth. So here we are in baby teeth. So we're three and a half years old here. And all of a sudden at three and a half, we meet a child who hasn't slept through the night. She wakes in the middle of the night. She has trouble falling asleep. So bad sleeping, poor sleeping, difficulty sleeping. Parents will you know, describe these different things as trouble, crawling into the bed, the whole thing. You can take the history and learn what's going on. But meanwhile, she, she can't sleep through the night. But we have this look. And this is the look of underdeveloped jaws from the outside. But we're going to get in there too. This is the profile. Now, this type of bite is the, the upper is very small. So the lower is small, but the upper is extra small. So this type of bite, we're gonna see in a moment, the top teeth are behind the bottom teeth. It's upside down kind of thing. So we have the bottom teeth in front, not this way, this way. So we have a small lower and a smaller upper. And this is not the correct bite or positioning, but in the profile, we can see a crease at the lip, the lower lip ahead of the upper lip, and here's the neck. The angle in the neck, that's not a good angle. When we see that angle, we know there's a compromise with the airway or breathing underneath. This is the bite. So this child bites down here at three and a half years old. And there are circles in the dental community that will say to a bite like this, oh, you know, that's a very difficult bite to fix. There's a possibility of jaw surgery in this child's future. Well, jaw surgery is 18, 20, 20, after you're done growing, you can't have jaw surgery when you're little. So all of a sudden this child will have heard as an opinion that there's a possibility for jaw surgery later on, but we would like to intervene earlier. So this is that type of bite. The lower is ahead of the upper and that's her bite. Now, we have to have perspective on this. Just because the lower is ahead of the upper, it, it does make it accurate to say the lower is ahead of the upper. That's what it is. That's an accurate statement. Here's a, here's a statement that's not so accurate. The lower jaw is too far forward. That's not an accurate statement. And we'll get to why in a second. The lower jaw is too far forward. That's a different way to describe this. That's not accurate. This is five months into treatment. Now, in this particular case, we're using removable guidance appliances. So a removable guidance appliance, if you looked at one at a glance, it would look like a football mouth guard. It would look like a mini mouth guard that this child wears. But a mini mouth guard or guidance appliance, as we refer to them, if it's designed nicely, what it'll do when the child wears it, it redirects the breathing of the musculature. And it turns out if you got your malocclusion from an early soft diet, weakened dysfunctional muscles, if that's your cause, your pathway should be to redirect the musculature in the breathing. So to redirect the musculature in the breathing at age three to 12, that age range, there are guidance appliances that exist to use that a child can wear for one or two hours in the afternoon or evening and bedtime. And when that's in the mouth, it turns out the tongue has to behave appropriately. And when the tongue has to behave appropriately and function going up and down into the palate, up and down like a piston, we start to grow differently. So all of a sudden we see a change at five months. Five months into wearing a guidance appliance for just an hour or two in the evening plus bedtime, we have a very big difference in the bite. The upper jaw is now growing forward. But if we look at the lower jaw, the lower jaw is growing forward as well. How do we know the lower jaw is growing forward? 
Well, number one, the crease is starting to fade away, but look at the extension of the jawline in the neck. All of a sudden, the neck is not compromised or like a ramp. The jawline is straightening out as this jaw comes forward. This child's jaws are growing wider and forward just by recruiting the breathing and musculature to behave properly using guidance appliances that are removable. Now the bite, over 12 months time, it's changing. The upper jaw is growing wider and forward. The lower jaw is growing wider and forward. And we're starting in 12 months time, we're getting bigger gaps between the teeth. Now we've got some bigger gaps between the teeth but it'll show in her face by 12 months. We still have this beautiful progression in 12 months. We went from three and a half to four and a half years old, three and a half to four and a half. This child has got her jaws growing wider and forward, but all of a sudden her face will look different in just 12 months time, removable appliance therapy, getting the jaws to grow wider and forward. Now the child has breathing through the nose and sleeping through the night. So in a matter of weeks to months, when the jaws start to grow better and the child can breathe through their nose better, they sleep through the night. So at some point during the treatment, all of a sudden the child is sleeping through the night. Well, sleeping through the night and having a proper night's sleep, thanks to nasal breathing, takes away the behavioral issue during the day. Now the child is well-rested, cleaned overnight, and now the behavior starts to line up. We don't have a child who is kind of in the hyperactive or inattentive or tantrum category is one of the ways you could describe it when they're little. So where are we with our smile at 12 months? Son, she bites down. We've gotten all the way to the front teeth touching. So from being far back underneath to touching the front teeth, we've got the facial growth and development wider and forward. And all of a sudden we have a child who by 12 months time has her bite almost where it belongs, but now has no symptoms. So she goes to bed on time. She falls asleep. She sleeps through the night. She breathes through her nose. And now because you got involved early, you have a child who gets a good night's sleep and is a different child during the day. So all it took to get involved early was removable guidance appliance therapy. And what you're going to learn about also is collaborative care because we also send children to the myofunctional therapist. So we have a full example of that coming next, orofacial myofunctional therapy. If you haven't heard of it yet, it's probably the most important thing to get associated with because you're going to recognize these children need an orofacial myofunctional therapist as part of their care so that we could have someone actually jumping in and helping with the physical therapy that's needed for the muscles of the jaws to help them get back on track, proper strength and proper function. So an oral facial myofunctional therapist is basically a head and neck expert with the physical therapy of the jaws, the musculature, the breathing, and the posture. And they offer wonderful opportunities for children. So we send almost every single child for them to, to get help there too. So collaboration heals a child. Dr. Ryan, it's a good time for this question. One second. Can you talk yes. about it forward growth in children under five with deep bite and overjet? If you correct the transverse or the widening deficiency with the, will the AP forward deficiency self-correct? Yes. So the good news is that when a child is narrow, if they're underdeveloped narrow, they're also trapped back. So the lower jaw is the movable component. It kind of opens and closes, you know, it's, you know, when you're chewing, your lower jaw is the one moving. Well, it turns out our dental research shows that the more narrow the upper is, the more trapped the lower is. Well, then, of course, it stands that when you widen the jaws, the lower gets some freedom, too. So while you can widen both jaws, and we're going to talk about expanders for both jaws to widen them, widening both is very helpful, but widening the upper also releases the lower forward. And our next patient shows a significant bite, just like that one in that question, where when we widen the upper jaws, the lower will follow it forward to release that jaw from a trapped position. And the fancy words were having an AP discrepancy or having an overjet. The overjet is the patient who looks like this. 
the top front teeth are out here and the lower teeth are here. And when they look like this, we want to know how do we get this here versus bringing this back? Because we could look at this two ways. Do we want to bring the top back here or the lower here? We're going to see that difference in a moment. So yes, the good news is it's the transverse or width that causes the sagittal issue. So treating the transverse relieves the sagittal issue and not the other way around. It's not the sagittal that causes the transverse, which is why if you correct sagittal, you cannot correct transverse. Correction in the sagittal department, addressing the sagittal component only, doesn't correct the transverse. Sagittal correction offers no change in transverse with, whereas with correction, appropriately done, offers the sagittal correction. So we treat in the cause category. More often than not, the sagittal discrepancy is caused by the narrow jaws. Can you and explain what sag yeah? Can you explain what sagittal means? Sagittal discrepancy ah, for our parents? <laughs> front to back. Sagittal is front. To so width is wide, meaning this way. Sagittal is our fancy word for nose to neck, this plane. So if a child is narrow, they often have a bite that is off this way too. But fixing the bite this way doesn't change the width, yet fixing the width changes this way. So we're going to show that in this case. It'll probably be a little more clear as okay. I walk through this case and show this nice child. Now, this particular child, we didn't meet until age nine, but you'll recognize they're already struggling and unhealthy. This child has a long list at age nine, waking up every night. Enoresis is the fancy word for bedwetting, night sweats, night terrors, snoring and mouth breathing, trouble with the alphabet. Where does this come from? Well, the nine-year-old that we meet, we send them to a myofunctional therapist. When they go to the myofunctional therapist, they do all kinds of exercises, speaking, talking, reading, chewing, drinking, everything to gain an understanding of how the musculature is working so that we can then rework it to be appropriate. Well, one of the things they'll do is they'll have the children read stuff. As he's reading through the alphabet, he makes two mistakes or more. So in multiple attempts to go through the alphabet, he'll make multiple mistakes. Now he's been struggling at school to age nine and already had a lot of difficulty in the second grade, the third grade, the fourth grade. There's been a lot of difficulty getting through school appropriately because he, he's not able to learn if you can't sleep well at night. Struggling in school. And of course, the parents are always looking in every direction to try to help their children. But when a child looks like this, we know right away, they're not breathing well. They're not sleeping well. There's a pretty good chance this is where our problems are coming from. So we treat the malocclusion, the underdeveloped jaws, to give this child the breathing back and the sleeping back. Now, it just so turns out this nine-year-old has what's called post-phase one orthodontics, meaning they've already been treated somewhere else. So when they get to me at age nine, they've already had a year and a half of treatment, just a different direction. So we're going to be able to kind of share what was done and where the child landed in a particular direction. Then we're going to go a different direction and we'll get to see, well, was there a difference at all? And maybe there is to see, maybe there isn't. Let's take a look and see where we go. So when we think about this before photo, the picture that I'm taking here at age nine when he comes to see me, that's my before photo. But technically, this is also a picture of the after of someone who's just done a year and a half of work for him in his mouth, phase one orthodontics, about eight, uh, seven and a half to nine years old. So here we go. This is his profile. Now, the profile picture, the upper lip is ahead of the lower lip, which is ahead of the chin. So we have this ramp backwards, but he can't get his lips together at rest, he's an, he's becoming an obligate mouth breather. He can't breathe through his, his nose at all. So we'll take a look at the picture like this. And now you might have an idea. Garden hose or coffee straw? Garden hose or coffee straw? Well, 
this little picture, we can follow the nostril. The air is going to go in the nostril. Where's it going? Through this coffee straw. So he's struggling to breathe. Taking the full history, it's there early. Struggling to breathe, struggling to sleep. This is a child who by six years old will have had the tonsils and adenoids out with very little difference from taking them out. Now, there's a reason why, obviously, because we learned a moment ago, if you have underdeveloped jaw, well, early soft diet, weaker muscles, underdeveloped jaws, poor airway, poor airway, compensation, mouth breathing, here comes the irritated, swollen, big tonsils and adenoids. So the airway is small first, the tonsils and adenoids get bigger second. If you take out the tonsils and adenoids, you're taking out the contents. Well, if we take out the contents of the tube, what size tube are we left with? If you start with a coffee straw and you dump out contents of a coffee straw, you still have a coffee straw. So something that everybody recognizes is what's called a pixie stick. A pixie stick is a little straw full of sugar. It's a treat, maybe for Halloween. A pixie stick has sugar in it. This is not a trick question. If I dump the sugar out, what size is the straw now? Well, it's the same size. And that makes a whole lot of sense now when you recognize that tonsil adenoidectomy is mostly unsuccessful long-term because the straw is too small to breathe through the nose. When the child breathes through the mouth after tonsil adenoidectomy, guess what grows back? The tonsils and adenoids grow right back. So the child 36 months out usually ends up in the same spot. Very low success rate for taking tonsils and adenoids out. And it does make sense because we're treating the cause in that direction instead of the, we're treating the symptom instead of the cause. The symptom of the poor breathing was tonsils and adenoids are bigger. Taking them out is treating the symptom. What about growing the jaws? Turns out when you grow the jaws and you breathe through your nose again, your tonsils and adenoids can shrink. So in my practice where we see several hundred kids a year, only one or two need their tonsils and adenoids out, but that comes secondary to growing the jaws and getting the nose breathing back. One or two kids a year, their tonsils and adenoids are so big, I can't get ahead of it. But we go for that first because the pathway was smaller jaws, smaller airway is our cause. We treat that first. Then if we cannot resolve the nose breathing to have them shrink, we consider that child for tonsil adenoidectomy and it boils down to one or two out of 100, maybe 200 kids. So less common. If you just go for the tonsil adenoidectomy, you're going to have the same problems about 36 months later. All right, so this child comes in with this bite. Now, don't forget when we go back and we look, this is the picture taken when they get to my office. So this is my you know starting point, but this is the end result of having a year and a half of treatment first. This child's been through a year and a half of treatment and this is the result of where they are. Their treatment might have been a slightly different direction. Here's the bite we have. Top front teeth, well ahead of the bottom teeth. And you could see almost from this view, this might look like a V shape. And we learned about arch form and arch width. This is not going to be the appropriate arch form or width. We could tell from here, it looks like a V. And there's this type of bite where the upper teeth are well ahead of the lower teeth. We're trapped like this. The lower jaw is really back. Well, it turns out the more V shaped and narrow you are, the more trapped you could be. So the lower jaw is trapped here. One perspective of this is, boy, we really got to bring those top teeth backwards. We really got to do this because this is the right bite, right? Well, this versus this, two different things. So instead of pulling the top teeth back, that doesn't help the airway tube. What if we widen the upper and allow the lower to come forward? That opens the tube. So here's that V. There's a V. And again, perspective is this child is walking in after just finishing a year and a half of treatment to get to here. So they've gotten here in a year and a half of treatment, but a little different approach. But here's the lower. So we've got this retainer glued in here. It's got this retainer, and it, this retainer kind of freezes everything right where it is here. But those of us in the dental profession from our surveys earlier know 
we're missing two teeth down here. The baby canines are not here. This is a form of camouflage, meaning take out a baby tooth on the side to let the forefront teeth fit in better. So this child has four front teeth that are, I don't even know if they're relatively lined up nicely, but there's supposed to be a whole nother tooth between these teeth and there's not room for it. You're looking at two baby teeth on the side and those two baby teeth underneath, there are three big teeth coming for this spot. Three big teeth coming for this spot. So in this particular pathway, the child had a subtractive technique. What they did was these teeth were severely crowded. So they took out a little baby tooth on the side to allow the front four teeth to line up. That's a subtractive technique. Take out the side baby teeth. The four teeth look better, but we're going the wrong way because we're reducing teeth that we're supposed to have until we're 11. So subtraction lines up these teeth. And then this bar is put into control, a lingual control arch or retainer. But now we're putting a retainer in a child that freezes everything right where it is at nine. This locks a child in place, but they're supposed to be growing. So we're actually locking a child in a position where they're undersized and not even allowing any little bit of growth and development, which is why I refer to this as a jaw binding appliance. This appliance freezes a child where they don't belong in the first place. This keeps them where they are as opposed to allowing them to grow any bit on their own. We'll take it. But this is going to lock those two teeth in that width. And now we are trapped. It should be no surprise that this child is planning, well, through the other office. Part two, which was planned already to begin at age 11, was to take out teeth, permanent teeth to fit the rest in. Because they already knew by the calculations, we'd have to take out the bottom teeth because they don't fit. We'll have to take out the top teeth to bring back the top teeth to make a match. So taking out side teeth on top gets to close the gap. We go like this. Top teeth out this way, bottom teeth out because they just don't fit. So this child was going to end up with 24 teeth. And we have plenty of adults with 24 teeth that know what this pathway is. It's a subtractive technique. So this was a year and a half of a tooth-focused subtractive technique not addressing the foundation. And meanwhile, the child at age nine is struggling with all of these categories. How about a different pathway? Oral facial myofunctional therapists. This child's going to work with an oral facial myofunctional therapist. And a lot, because this is a lot of muscle dysfunction. ENT evaluation again, because they had their tonsils and adenoids out at age six. Guess what? They were bigger than the first round. So when you breathe through your mouth after taking out the tonsils and adenoids, they're going to come back in with a vengeance. They turn out to be bigger the, the second time around. He had to have them out again. We're going to have to go through phase one, but different expanders and some brackets to shape everything. So he's going to get an upper and a lower expander to grow both jaws much bigger where they belong to fit all of the teeth in because we don't take out teeth. We're looking to give all of the teeth a home. Proper jaw growth, proper teeth positioning means 32 teeth is really where we're supposed to end up. After we do some expanders and brackets, that's just a short time. That might be 10 months. We got to get into our appliances like that little three-year-old had a guide. Myofunctional appliance therapy is a guide. You get a guide to where from the time you're 10 to 12, we got to let the teeth come in. Then we'll do phase two when you're 13 or 14. Phase two, if you grow the jaws early and you take care of all the horrific stuff early, you'll just have some teeth to align. You can make clear aligners. You can do clear aligners for these kids. So we do that. This is 10 months. Now, 10 months progress, we're going to have a different child on our hands. All of a sudden, in 10 months time, we have a full upper and lower jaw because what we've done is in 10 months, Upper expander, lower expander. This child happened to need 10 to 12 millimeters of expansion for both jaws and some brackets to shape the teeth just so they would be in a good position, but also to deliver in the lower arch the room 
for the teeth that were missing that should be a gap there. So brackets and wires, little springs with the expanders. But 10 months later, it all comes out. While the expanders can give you your jaw growth back, now we've got jaw growth. The expanders open up the nasal chamber because the expander of the maxilla makes that triangle go like this to this again. So upper expander can give you this provided you go far enough, 10, 12 millimeters. 10, 12 millimeters here, the lower's got to follow it. So the lower expander gives you the lower growth. Now, all of a sudden, you got to take this out because we need the breathing and the musculature to be taught myofunctional therapy, myofunctional therapy with the guides so that we can keep growing. But in just 10 months, there's a big difference. In 10 months time, the child is breathing through the nose, sleeping through the night, and the list starts to fade away. We go from struggling to thriving. The profile, the child starts to have their lip seal, nose breathing. The jaws are growing wider and forward, including the upper. How do we know? We look underneath. Coffee straw opening up. This is only 10 months. So on the left side of the screen, we have a coffee straw, which it was either bigger and got smaller or was this size at the start. And a year and a half of work kept the coffee straw. We're 10 months in and this is opening up because both jaws are growing forward. So both jaws wider and forward. When the tube starts to open up, the air flows better. When the air flows better, you breathe through your nose. When you breathe through your nose, you start to heal. So the waking every night disappears by eight weeks into expansion of both jaws. The bedwetting, which was five to seven nights, done by eight weeks. Night sweats, gone. And then one of the most fascinating things to hear from a 10-year-old or a 9-year-old or a 7-year-old or a 12-year-old is that I no longer have nightmares. I dream. A child without asking will start to tell you that I'm dreaming. I'm having, I fall asleep and I dream. I feel like I dream the whole night. I no longer have any nightmares. That's from the breathing. When you breathe through your mouth or worse, you have poor breathing. Your brain is in scramble mode trying to help you. The sleep fragmentation or disruption gives you an opportunity to be a nightmare candidate. Whereas when your nose breathing beautifully through the night, you have the opportunity to dream. The snoring and mouth breathing, the parents recognize if they peek in on him in his silent nose breathing all night. From struggling with the alphabet in school, to him and his mom, their nighttime routine is he reads the Harry Potter series to her. He now reads Harry Potter to her out loud at night. Total struggle in school gone. The expanders are gone. We're in a guidance appliance. And now we're going to have that child working with the myofunctional therapy and the guides all the way to 12 years old, maybe even 13. Now, by 15 months, we're totally different. In 15 months time, we've got a much bigger maxilla that has proper shape and size. And this is a good position to be in but it's the lower that's much larger because we got to take out that bar that's a restrictor, get rid of the restrictor that no child needs and get that jaw growing. Now we actually have all the teeth. You can start to see the canines that were missing from the other picture. Four front teeth. You can count the four front teeth. Here are the four front teeth. Then there are those nice big canines. Then there are the two premolars before the molars in the back. Now this child has the first 14 teeth with only a tiny little bit of crowding but on the other side of the screen, they're missing two big teeth in that arch, which is why in that direction, they would have had to take out teeth and do finish their subtractive technique, which would have probably made that child worse over time. Here we are turning 12, 13 years old, where we have a full wide forward jaw growth and development, nasal breather with no symptoms, who's a rock star at school. Then of course, 13, 14 years old, let's make some clear aligners to finish the job. People who have had clear aligners know the little bumps, the attachments that go on the teeth. You could see a couple here. 17 aligners is like eight months. But eight months just to line up the teeth. Now you've got beautiful jaw development. Your foundation was done first. 
Then your teeth get aligned second. And all this while you have the perfect bite on both sides. All the teeth connect appropriately. And when all the teeth connect appropriately, you have this bite that no longer has that gap between the top and bottom teeth. And we didn't use any rubber bands. No rubber bands to pull. It's the upper development width that frees the lower. So both jaws need wider growth and development. But when the top is developed appropriately, the lower releases from a trapped position. Well, school picture coming around. We're, we're 13 years old, 14. We're doing our aligners. Straight A student joins a basketball team, picks up soccer, becomes a drummer in the band. All of a sudden is participating at a level that is normal social school behavior, no longer in the category of hyperactive, distracted, can't focus, can't be part of a team. Well, one day he's going to get a little bit older and there's going to be a lot of hair gel and a lot of Axe Cologne involved. But that's okay. We wear masks in the office so we can survive the Axe Cologne threat. So we give advice. We give advice also and we say, you know, half of the bottle, half of the bottle of Axe Cologne is enough. You don't have to use the whole bottle. You can use half of the bottle and the ladies will appreciate it the same. It is okay to use half of the Axe Cologne. Now, this kid's coming along. Well, one day he's going to be 17. This is him in 2021 as a 17 year old. And what you notice at the very back of the picture, his wisdom teeth are coming in, all four of them. The children that we treat early and grow the jaws appropriately have room for all the teeth. And what happens is their wisdom teeth come in without discomfort. So his wisdom teeth are arriving without him even knowing it. No pain, no swelling. They will come all the way in for him. He will maintain that beautiful, perfect bite. And now he has this beautiful, perfect bite everywhere with a big airway. He's a nose breather, has been since he's 10. So we just spun him around differently from nine on to take what was a year and a half of the opposite technique, narrow back subtractive, to wider and forward to allow him to breathe. The jaw growth and development determines how you breathe. Can you breathe through your nose well? And that determines how you sleep. So absolutely, your jaw growth and development is related to your breathing and sleeping. A tooth-focused approach doesn't really help with the foundation. So a tooth-focused approach doesn't really help with your breathing or your musculature, which is why we prefer to treat the kid's foundation first, teeth second, as opposed to waiting until 12 and trying to force the teeth straight in a foundation that's wrong. That doesn't help the breathing. So that child becomes you know, successful in every category as he should be. No symptoms, no medication. So Lauren, I should turn it over to you to see about next steps. What to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but let's, since you have this slide up, I love this slide. Actually, when I was in clinical hygiene, I played it almost for every patient that walked through the door. Um, it's a great one. We're not going to play it tonight, but just um, take a look. And that will actually um, lead me to go to Rebecca to kind of show some of the resources that the Children's Airway First Foundation really did a great job compiling so you don't have to go searching everywhere. But before we go to Rebecca with that, let's ask, ask excuse me, answer some of the questions that popped up during the presentation. Um, one was about a tongue tie, but can you kind of tell the patients and the parents what a tongue tie or a lip tie revision is before we start asking yes. questions about it? Yes, so yes. In, in our shorter session tonight, that little bit of time constraint, I can't cover all of the details, so we covered some big ones. However, another big piece of the puzzle is tongue tie or lip tie. Now, if we think about tongue tie, it, it's when you lift your tongue up, it's underneath the tongue. So if my hand is my tongue flapping around, when you lift your tongue up, there's a little tether under there. 
So that tether is called a frenum. That's a fancy word for it, frenum. But when the frenum is shorter, it restricts the tongue's mobility. A shorter leash on the tongue keeps the tongue low. When the tongue is kept low, your jaws don't grow the same. So a low tongue can happen from soft food, but it can also happen from restriction. So the number one cause out there is the soft food because it's all over the population. Really soft. But the number two item is tongue tie. It's part of the full evaluation. Every human, child, teen, or adult gets evaluated for tongue tie because just because you build a garage, meaning we could grow the jaws and have the right space. If the tongue has a restriction under it, it can't elevate or live in the right space. It's still back. When the tongue is back, we can't breathe as well. So we have to address that, meaning full evaluation. Is the tongue restricted? So part of myself, my team's job is identifying tongue tie. And there are pathways to learn how to identify and diagnose it, but then also incorporate the myofunctional therapy community because you can't just release it. It has to be not only diagnosed, but then treated appropriately, which means there's myofunctional therapy first. So releasing a tongue tie, like a little technique to release that tether so the tongue could be free. It's a nice technique to offer when the tongue is restricted. However, it's like letting a wild dog off a chain. You, you can't just let the wild dog off the train. You should have training sessions first. Teach the dog how to behave first, right? Well, you train the tongue first, then you release it, then you train it after. Now the tongue has the home to live in and the ability to live in it. It just needs to be taught how to do that. So yes, tongue tie, number one, and then lip ties. Underneath the lips on the front and the sides, there are these little ties that connect us to our cheeks. Some people have them and they're too tight. So if you're a little child, if you have tongue tie or lip ties, meaning these are tighter, when those are tighter, it keeps you condensed or tight. And it's part of the restriction process where we don't grow as well. So yes, a big part of the diagnosis is the tongue and lip ties, releasing them with the myofunctional therapy community in proper order so that we can get the musculature to have all of the behavior appropriately so that combining it with our expander techniques, our guide techniques, the myofunctional therapy and the frenum releases, what I would envision is maybe in a future meeting, we could focus right on the tongue and lip ties. And we could probably spend Absolutely. an hour on that alone. Photos and the changes, because yes, so many children have that done. That, that could be its own meeting. I'd be happy to participate in that one too. Well, you know what? Meanwhile, we'll put in the chat. We did have um, a conversation with Dr. Scott Siegel on, <laughs> on lip ties. And so we'll put that, uh, that sure. you can... Everyone can watch that. He'll go into detail. Yeah. He'll show you what they are. Um, so that's something that you may want to look into. Um, another question is, uh, after all of this work, are retainers going to be needed? I've always heard that retainers need to be worn for life because teeth will shift after braces. Yeah, so the retainer for life uh, whole thing came from the orthodontic community's research. So the research shows that after braces, if you don't wear a retainer, the teeth are going to relapse. They're going to go back to where they were. So there's a pathway for this to happen. Certainly, braces being used from 12 to 14 kind of treats the symptom of the crowded teeth. The braces can force the teeth straight, but the braces don't offer any changes to the musculature. So how did our teeth become crowded in the first place? Well, the jaws are too small. The teeth came in crowded, and the jaws are too small. And the teeth are crowded because the musculature was weak and dysfunctional. If the tongue is weak and dysfunctional on the inside, compensation is that the outside functions more. So the outside becomes stronger. So if the outside is strong and the inside is weak, where do you think your teeth will go? Well, they will follow the musculature. So braces can make your teeth straight, 
But afterwards, when your muscles are the same, inside weak, outside strong, collapse. So kids who have braces from 12 to 14 have their symptoms being treated. Their teeth are now straight. But when you don't wear your retainer, your inside, tongue, weak, outside, strong, collapses the teeth right back to the starting point. So that's why the kind of research showed relapse is very high. It's a high 90 percentile. So almost all kids who have braces, when you take off the braces, if you don't wear your retainer, those teeth are going back. Adults who had braces who lost their retainer know my teeth are crooked. And basically that pathway gave birth to multiple billion dollar clear liner companies because almost every adult that had braces has crooked teeth to play with again. So we're not really treating the cause when we do teeth laying. So we think about braces from 12 to 14. Basically what you're getting out of braces from 12 to 14 is straight teeth temporarily. Now, there's an alternative pathway that you just saw. If you grow the jaws, get the nose breathing back, have the tongue taught properly to be the arch scaffold inside, have the lips and cheeks taken away from compensation in swallowing myofunctional therapy. If you have balance of the breathing and musculature, your teeth stay where they're put. So they do not drift back to the beginning. So what you notice, braces 12 to 14 relapses very fast. So if you have braces from 12 to 14 and you don't wear your retainer, a week or two later, your retainer wouldn't fit. That's how fast the teeth can change. Then you stop wearing it. And then they jumble up pretty well. You could see some pretty crowded teeth in adults who had braces. When you have a child who goes through growth and development, foundation first, teeth second, nasal breathing, tongue function and position, lips and cheeks function and position, all of the balance. If that child stops wearing a retainer, it will take decades for the teeth to show a difference, not weeks. So the difference is that the teeth may show a little change over a long period of time versus a drastic change in a short period of time. There's a big difference there. When we finish a teenager, we still give them a clear aligner as a retainer. We say, listen, wear this to bed every night because it will keep your teeth perfectly aligned. But when you've grown the jaws early, they don't shrink back. You don't get shrinkage of the jaw back to an undersized jaw. So you maintain your foundation, which maintains your breathing. If your muscles are taught appropriately, you have your scaffold for your teeth. So the retainers are less necessary, but most of the kids we treat, their parents are interested in perfectly aligned teeth through all of high school and college. We give a clear retainer. The good news is we know if they don't wear it, there'll be very little change over time because you delivered the musculature and the breathing. That's the difference between whether you need a retainer or not. If you got braces, you better wear your retainer or they're going to collapse. But more importantly, if you got braces, you only attended to the teeth. Chances are you, you might not be the best breather that you can be. You needed to address the foundation to be the best breather you could be. Great. And would you advocate gum chewing to increase muscle activity? Um, I do not advocate gum chewing to, to do that because gum chewing doesn't really mimic an, an early hard diet where there's a full completion of a proper swallow of a bolus, which is the lump of food that goes down. Gum chewing only results in swallowing saliva. So while you might be working the musculature, there's a tiny problem with it in that because of the early soft diet, your muscles are doing it wrong. So just going to gum chewing means you're using your muscles wrong more. So if you're going to be using your muscles wrong more, it's not a helpful thing. That's why we talk about the myofunctional therapy community. When you go to an oral facial myofunctional therapist, they will help you with the tools and techniques to have your muscle use be appropriate because using your muscles appropriately can help your jaws grow and develop better in conjunction with other things that we do. 
Gum chewing does not complete the normal natural act of swallowing the bolus, which is the food that is collected at the end of a swallow. It's just saliva. And it's most likely just propagating poor muscle function. So we're just making more of the bad function with gum chewing. It's not an answer. Uh, a, a sleep deprived mom texted us. Don't worry, you'll get through this. <laughs> My 14 month old occasionally mouth breathes while sleeping and occasionally snores. He consistently wakes up every one to two hours and sweats all night. Is it too soon to have him evaluated? No, it's time to be evaluated because those are the signs and symptoms of the poor breathing and it usually gets worse. Poor breathing gets worse over time. So the first thing we would want is to be evaluated by either a dentist, pediatric dentist, or myofunctional therapist that is aware of the frenum protocols. Because one of the things early to look for, is there a tightness in any of the frenum? We talked about the tongue tie, the lip tie, because those are things that contribute to these troubles. So we would want someone who knows how to evaluate that to evaluate those for you, because there's a chance that could make a difference. So I would begin with the pediatric dentist, but we need to know that they know how to do a full frenum evaluation. Not all dental professionals know how to do a frenum evaluation. And quite honestly, 20 years ago, I did not know how. I was 20 years ago, I was 10 years into dentistry. I didn't know what tight frenum meant or tongue tie. I thought that's one in a million thing. Then you start meeting the myofunctional therapy community and learning more from them. And this is a, a more common type of thing to look for, diagnose and treat. So it took me a while to get there. So we have to search for the dental professional in your community that knows how to evaluate for, for frenum issues. One of the things you can do is uh, nasal hygiene, meaning there are different tools that are available to parents in that age group where um, one of them is that straw, I forgot the name of it, where the parent can kind of suck the debris out of the nose for the child. And it, it's like a little backwasher. It doesn't go in your mouth anymore. They designed it to be like suctioning the gasoline from the car. You know, back in the day, you would suction the gasoline from the car to take your friend's gas. And what would happen, not that I've ever done this, I've heard of this. I've heard of this before, but when you had to do a hose to take your friend's gasoline to put it in a different car, you got a little in your mouth, but now they have the tube with the suction and the valve so that it doesn't go. Basically, there are little tools to help keep the nose as clean as possible. Then, of course, 14 months old, baby led weaning, baby led weaning to start to figure out, okay, how would I introduce a little bit harder food going forward and, and in a healthy manner? That's why we got to read books on this to learn. But I would say one of the first directions would be, let's get to the the proper office to do frenum evaluation, just to see, is there anything tight in there that could be helped early? Uh, what is adequate intramolar width in female adults? Oh yeah, the bare minimum 40 millimeters between the upper first molars. So the, the entirety of the human race before malocclusion uh, lands at like 50 millimeters between the upper molars, which is unheard of today because that would be fully grown jaws, 32 teeth where they belong. And the distance between the upper first molar, T3 and 14, would be 50 millimeters to have a 99% rate of wisdom tooth eruption into function. Those numbers are unheard of today. Our bare minimum to get to the 28 tooth mark is 40 millimeters between 3 and 14. Below 40 millimeters between 3 and 14, you have less tongue space and less nasal chamber, poor breathing. The moment you start to measure between 3 and 14, one handy little tool, by the way, is a cotton roll. We all have these little cotton rolls in our office. Those cotton rolls are 37 millimeters long. If you can't fit a cotton roll between your upper molars, chances are you've got some breathing, sleeping, and symptoms. You don't have to be OSA. You're just not likely to be a pure nasal breather with proper sleep. So underdeveloped jaws by measurement, you can go back through Dr. Bogue and Dr. McNamara. That could be its own meeting alone. You could spend an hour teaching growth and development by numbers according to ages. Four years old, if we track back to Dr. Bogue, Dr. Bogue knew that a four-year-old 
The baby molars at four should be 30 millimeters apart, bare minimum, bare minimum. But then you track that growth over time. A, an eight-year-old should be at 35 and a 12-year-old should be at 40. And when you are when you go from 30 to 35 to 40, 4, 8, 12, all that does is give you a coin toss on the wisdom teeth. That's a coin toss on the wisdom teeth. Those are the low numbers, 30 to 35 to 40. The higher range is another five to 10 more, which takes you from the 50% wisdom tooth mark to 99% valid in the wisdom teeth. That's normal human skull growth and development. So yeah, big numbers used to be the normal. Early soft diet, weaker muscles, smaller jaws, narrow, narrow, poor breathing, poor sleeping, unhealthy human beings. It turns out most of your health issues and struggles come from the underdeveloped jaws delivering the poor breathing because the balance of the ingredients trigger the cascade downhill to affect every single system of the body. So we want to get our jaw growth and development back so we can breathe better, sleep better, and heal. You said it takes three weeks for muscles to lose tone. Does this mean that myofunctional therapy will need to be continued basically forever? No, the good news is once you get to the point where you've done your exercises and you're in the child, teen, or adult range, you're then going to have a transition in your food. You should have been eating applesauce then because the, the, the child, teen, and adult doesn't live on baby food. So the food is a little bit harder. However, we had lost all the strength early on, so we didn't have the jaw growth and development. So we transitioned to a harder food later, but we don't have the jaw growth and development earlier from the soft food. So now you've got a uh, human being who's eating the proper foods. They're just doing it dysfunctionally. The muscles are weaker and the food, of course, is a little softer than what used to be hard. But if you go through all of the exercises and you deliver the strength and function, you just have to maintain it by not eating applesauce. It does mean for children, you take away the apple squeezer. It does mean you take away things that are mush. You just have to have some normal food mixed into the diet. Can we have some normal food? You can do it. It's okay to chew hard food. So a little bit of hard food can maintain that because it is on a daily basis. It's multiple times a day. So as long as you're not having the mush, you should be able to maintain the things that you get. Plus the myofunctional therapy, when it delivers the nose breathing and the proper muscle function, it tends to propagate and stay as proper muscle function, especially when the jaws are developed and the room is there. Everything can behave itself well and maintain the strength by having even just a reasonable diet later on is wonderful. Thank you so much. I want to make sure that we get a chance for Rebecca to share all of these amazing yeah. resources. Uh, but I'm just going to ask you to stop sharing your screen. And uh, Rebecca, why don't you take us through? I'm so excited about the website. You guys did such a great job at re, re, um, reinventing it, really, to make it such an easy um website to navigate and for parents and practitioners both can really walk through this why don't you give us a kind of an overview here so we can see some of these resources available oh you're on mute you're on mute there we go sorry about that okay. oh great yeah, so our website it is it we originally started off just for parents but over time we realized clinicians are here as well. So now we've tried to be a resource for everybody. So uh, I'm just going to point out three main areas of our website and just encourage everybody to check it out when they have time. So the first is our parents portal, because again, that is our main focus. We are here to provide the information parents need to help their children along their sleep and airway journey. So um, in our newly developed parents portal, it's a great place to start if 
you know, you're, you're new to these terms and you're not really sure, you know, what's going on, where to start. This is where we recommend you go. And um, actually the very first uh, podcast that we're going to introduce you to is the one we did with Dr. Moralia because he did such a great job. We covered so much information in an hour. So I encourage every parent who hasn't to check that one out first. Um, and then you'll just see as you go through our, our website, um, there's there's tons of resources on here, including recommended reading list. And our reading list is for both parents and medical professionals. These are books that are gonna help you with terminology, treatment options, um, just tips, everything you need to know about sleep and airway for your child. We also have just some some areas that are broken out that you can explore. When we started, we were focused just on airway, but as we've gone along, um, as, as we discussed in this presentation, you start to realize there's so many other symptoms and signs and things that go along with it. So you'll see quite a bit of uh, our resources developed uh, to focus on sleep health as well. So, you know, we'll give you kind of an, a breakdown on what airway disorders are. Uh, we'll also walk you through just some tips and tricks on how you can manage them with your child. Um, and then when you're starting to look for an airway focused dentist, um, we have here the airway health solutions uh, provider search. And, and we, we really recommend that use this tool to find a, a pediatric dentist or dental professional that is airway focused. Then obviously we're going to focus on sleep health. So there's a whole section here to talk about that. Um, and then we have the clinician's corner. So similar information, but focused towards our, our medical community so that if you're not familiar with airway health, um, either from the pediatric or the dental side, this is a great place to come and get your footing. It's also going to help you with educational resources like you can find at Airway Health Solutions so that you can grow your knowledge and grow your practice, as well as um, here's some medical research that we have found so that you don't have to go all over the place looking for it. We put it all here for you. And then we also have a store where we're developing resources and materials that you can use to talk to your patient so that they can understand what's going on. And everybody's, you know, rowing in the same direction. And the last area I wanna show you is our resource section. This is for everybody. So here you're gonna find our blogs, podcasts, videos, our full research library, which is for both parents and clinicians, the reading list and our newsletters. And um, I encourage everybody, both parents and clinicians to follow our blogs because we are, we're speaking to everybody here. And I, I wanna go ahead and highlight the, the latest episodes that we just launched because I know he's on and I believe we're yes. gonna get to hear from him next. Yeah, we're gonna um, get to a special. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll so, call you on Dave when you're ready, just get ready, it's so exciting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And um, this is a really, really great series because again, uh, this is one of our first times that we really dig into not just airway, let's talk about the sleep side of it. And one of the great things about uh, Dr. McCarty is that he does this in such a fantastic way that everybody can understand. So uh, again, this just kind of goes to show you the, the gamut of what we are covering here. And for the parents that are here, we do have a parent liaison now that's helping us with our communication. So if you have questions, you're needing some help finding a provider, 
just give us, uh, you could call us or you could email us at info at childrensairwayfirst.org. And our parent liaison will help you find whatever resources you need. Wow. Uh, we're so grateful for you and Children's Airway uh, First Foundation. So glad we partnered together. Uh, this is the missing piece Absolutely. from our portal. So it's such a, a nice combination. I do want to um, go ahead before we kind of close out and thank everybody. You already covered this airway dentist, but if you want to find an airway dentist near you, please go to airwayhealthsolutions.com forward slash locator. Uh, you can find dentists who are trained personally by Dr. Moralia, Dr. Kevin Boyd, uh, Dr. Michael Gelb, um, Dr. Brett Christensen, a lot of the big heavyweights in airway. Uh, we are international as well. So we do get some international attendees tonight. So you can find that um, on our locator and also, I want to point out that the ADA has a brochure, and I really encourage parents to get a sample of this. It doesn't cost you anything. It is free. It'll say sample across it, but you can bring this brochure perhaps to your dentist, um, to your pediatric dentist, to your pediatrician, to your ear, nose, and throat doctor, and let them know that this is a real concern and that the ADA is behind it. And that'll help promote and kind of close that gap between the medical and dental communities. The more parents that stand up for their kids in the airway, the more we're going to continue to close that gap and get these children the help that we need. We saw that from the cases that Dr. Moralia showed. Those were only two children. He has saved thousands of children's lives by having them promote um, their nasal breathing and proper growth and development. So and I encourage you to look at this link. We kind of shortened it because it was very long, but you can Google ADA uh, and then there's a button to click a sample under the children's airway. So please consider that. Where is my friend, Dr. Dave uh, McCarty? You want to come on up? I'm going to have Gerald uh, make you a co-host because I'm so excited. We actually have these free conversation series and they are geared towards professionals, but um, many of our parents and patients do tune um, do tune in to join us and uh, you're more than welcome to do so. This will be Wednesday, December 6th at eight o'clock. Um, and for those professionals, you will get a free CEU. And we're going to really just talk about sleep apnea and really break it down simply and with some humor, I'm sure, because once you meet Dr. McCarty, you will know that he has a wonderful sense of humor and he uses comics and um, just empathy to really get down to the heart of the matter, literally. So I don't know if we have Dave here, but let me see if not yet. Can we get him? Let me see. If not, I'm going to just keep going until he pops up. If not, I will speak on his behalf. But we have, he has a wonderful blue book. I have my own. I love it. It's really, really, really an amazing book. This isn't for clinicians or patients. This is for human beings. Okay. So if yes, you're human yes. and you have trouble uh, breathing or have loved ones who have trouble breathing, which if I'm at a party, everyone's telling me that they're on a CPAP these days, really get this blue book, put it in your office. If you're a doctor, right now or dentist because it'll spark so much wonderful conversation. There's comics in here. There's a nice uh, pathway and it's really uh, a way for patients to be empowered and understand and take control of sleep apnea. So we actually are going to, um, we united with Empowered Sleep Apnea that we are offering 20% um, off of this beautiful blue book. It's only $80, which it will 
never be $80 again, that's for sure, because it's a wonderful textbook uh, with the code AHS Empower. So please take advantage of this. This will be in your follow-up email as well. And we will put it in the chat so you can order that. And And, um, Lauren, and I just want to say for parents, uh, just to introduce parents to the Empowered Sleep Apnea uh, on Dr. McCarty's behalf, listen to those two podcasts and check out the blogs because there are two huge concepts that he talks about in his books and he goes ahead and he explains them in both of those podcasts and it's a great entry point for parents okay uh, here he is he says come off video and uh come off mute because now we just built him up and (laughs) the suspense is killing everyone (laughs) so he may be having some um uh issues internet issues but dave you can just pop on whenever you want. I'm just going to keep on going here because I like to be mindful. We have a minute left. So um, we do have a Facebook group for professionals uh, that you can join to find out more information as well. That's on our Facebook. And uh, we have for our for our professionals, we have many residencies. And if you want your dentist to be an airway dentist, maybe you want to tell them that we do have these courses that they can learn about Dr. Moralia's techniques. Uh, We do have them pretty much every other month. So our next courses are coming up December 1st and January 19th for the pediatric event. And then the mini residency for adults, it teaches Dr. Moralia's techniques will be November 10th and February 9th. We also have advanced courses, so we can get you um, more information on that if you're interested. We have courses with Dr. Michael Gelb on TMD um, to ortho, kind of setting up for success to to treat the acute TMD patient. So, And we have advanced courses for also Dr. Kevin Boyd to treat under six. So if you're a dental practitioner, pediatric dentist, orthodontist, general dentist, you may want to consider really diving into under six. And we have our course for um, that's caught, taught by an orthodontist to peer-to-peer other orthodontists or general dentists is Dr. Brett Christensen. Uh, he will ch- ch- uh, teach his tried and true methods of 30 years. We have our Airway Palooza coming up March 15th and 16th. This is geared towards professionals, but we do have patients attend. So if you want to check it out, you're more than welcome to. We can be on virtual um, as well. But these are the top airway experts in the world. We have people traveling from Australia and New Zealand um, just to come visit with us. We have the first day are all about children's. And uh, we partnered with Children's Airway First Foundation on that. And the second day, is on the adults. So that's a wrap. And I think I'm pretty much on time. A minute late. That's that's not so bad. I guess it's Dave not going to be able to join us tonight, but um, I'm really thrilled that he was part of both Airway Health Solutions and the Children's Airway First Foundation so we can get his message out. Absolutely. Ben, I can't thank you enough for sharing and taking the time. You're so passionate yes. and you generate your time Uh, You're so generous with your time and we really thank you. And we know that someone was touched tonight, at least, at least, I don't know, everybody on this audience, but here we're going to have this broadcasted uh, 300 people registered tonight. So 300 people will hear it. And then we get so many views on our YouTube. So please share this with your dental professionals, with your community, with your loved ones. It is an eye opener and we will, um, try to answer any questions via email if we didn't have time tonight at info at airwayhealthsolutions.com or info at childrensfirstfoundation.org. Why don't you give us a closing statement, Ben, because you always wrap up so well. 
Yeah, Lauren, thank you. Rebecca, thank you very much for having the platform. And uh, it was an honor to present to your group. I would be happy to share more at any time. I also know there are a lot of other people to, to consider and kind of get in the loop because I'm not the only one out there. There's a lot of people in this category and we're kind of a little bit hidden, but I think with your group and your exposure, you could bring this out to the masses. So I'm, I'm really happy to be a part of it. Thank you and happy to share anytime. Anything that'll help a child, I'm, I'm happy to help. Yeah, and we're happy yes, to keep doing you. this, right, Rebecca? As long as Absolutely. everyone's up, we'll do this quarterly and we'll have different topics. So please spread the word. Um, knowledge is power and power will save the children, really, and adults too. Absolutely. So, there mm -hmm. were a couple of questions about adults. I do want you to tune in then to our other chats that we had just on this topic because that's a whole other hour or whole day, depending on where you want to go down. But right. Our solutions.com forward slash chats. We have a lot of archive conversations that you can learn about um, more on the adult side of it as well. So Rebecca, thank you so much. Yep. Ben, thank you yeah, so much. Thank you both. Everybody love yeah, people who cha you. champion airway health. We'll see you next time. See you at the next one. Thank you again. Bye. Bye.